0: Welcome to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriting. My name is Mark Lintonmeyer. For more information about this podcast, please check out NakedlyExaminedMusic.com. My guest for episode number 44 is Liss Gilorn, a Connecticut artist who plays sort of eccentric country rock. You're currently listening to Little Wren" from the album Liss Gilorn, 2003, after which she released some EPs, and then her next one was 2013's Winged Victory. And today we're going to talk about MK, the closing track from the I'm a Boy 2017 EP credited to Liz Gilorn and her band. Then the song Silver from that 2013 Winged Victory album. And also When I Was a Tiger Lily from the Three Songs EP 2006. And we'll conclude by coming back to the current EP and hear nothing to it. For more information, please check out LissGilorn.com. And here's Liz. So I was thinking for the opening music I would play a little of Little Wren since you sure. even named your was it named your record company or one of the things was named after it
1: My publishing company is Little Wren.
0: And what does that actually involve?
1: To license the rights to my songs. Little Wren is my business entity for that and Little Cowgirl is my record label.
0: Assume complete ignorance cuz like I put a little record label name on my CDs that I self promote but it's purely fictitious. There is no registered entity Tenacious Records. So tell me a little about the process in terms of setting yourself as an actual legal publisher and record company.
1: Well, I didn't do too much except register with BMI as uh. both a songwriter and a publisher. So that in the future in case anyone wants to license my music, they can license it through me but also pay publishing royalties to me through sure. Little Wren. It's all me, so it kind of doesn't matter, but That's the way things are done.
0: And as far as the label goes, is that, again, you're still just submitting to CD Baby or whatever, or or is there some special thing?
1: I filed a DBA. I have a P.O. box, and I'm just a sole proprietor, so it's all just me anyway. It just gives me a fancy name and a legal line of defense in front of myself, I suppose.
0: So if I sue you, you won't go bankrupt because you're... No,
1: uh, I'd have to be an LLC for that. Oh, that's
0: the... Okay. So yes, I am part of an LLC, but that's not for the music. Well, let's talk about the music. Yeah, absolutely. Little Wren was from your first, your self-titled 2003 album. I know it's not the first thing you did, but it's the first full, lush recording you have up there. But we're going to move right to the newest album, the newest EP, the song MK from the I'm a Boy EP. Of course, as soon as I saw that title for the EP, the Who song started going through my head, and I thought, surely that is merely a coincidence. But no, no, that's actually the title track doing a cover of that song. So is that the theme of the album? Is this gender challenging? Say a little about where this has come from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The EP is about identity issues and things that I've dealt with my entire life growing up queer and thinking about those issues for as long as I've been alive. And someone suggested I record I'm a Boy about 20 years ago when I was in Jargon Society, and I always meant to do it. It just always seemed like a good idea for me to play around with gender a bit, but I never got around to it until now. And it's super fun to do with my band in particular, because I have some really good players in my band who love to bash out a Who tune as yes. much as they like to play my my own songs. So,
0: so a lot of times when I, I listen to a song, kind of naturally, I'll kind of be singing along in a harmony to it. Or maybe it's a song that has the harmony, but the harmony is more appealing somehow. So that's the thing I sing. And just the fact that you recorded this with you singing, not what is the lead vocal, at least in the first chorus, he just does, uh, I was just listening to the Who version, Daltrey does it by himself. And you're singing one of the harmonies, even when you're by yourself through that section. I just found that, you know, a way to make it a little more punk or something.
1: I just, Sung what was in my head and oh. went with that. So.
0: so that's the part that stuck with you, was the, the, yeah. the third or whatever it is. Not to mention that, you know, on the original recording, they're all singing these ridiculous falsettos, and, and you, you know, moved into, into a more regular range.
1: Except in the ooh part, of course. Yes,
0: well, you so. got to keep that. Yeah, I noticed on the, on the live version, Pete Townsend actually sings the verses, just so Roger Deltery doesn't have to do that. I don't know if he did the silly high falsetto in live much, at least in their prime.
1: Yeah, I think there was a version from 67 on YouTube, and that's what I based this Mm. arrangement on. And I'm happy with what my bandmates did as far as the backing vocals for me.
0: So say something then about the song MK in particular and how this hooks up to the general theme or anything else you want to say about it.
1: I was asked on social media, or no, I asked a question of some friends, who among us plays guitar without a pick? And I was looking for the answer of one of my own friends, but people kept chiming in famous people. So it goes along with a feeling of being misunderstood. And it's probably a little bit angry and sarcastic, but still funny. I had gone through a period of fibromyalgia and depression earlier last year. So I wrote it literally while lying in bed and just wanted to turn some prog rock, jam rock, pieces of a song into one song and drawing on inspiration from like Elvis Costello and The Attractions Modern Lovers, but yeah. also more classic rock guitar riffing.
2: You could never pay attention enough to get a read on me when the two men
0: it starts off kind of just like a straight classic rock song, but then yeah. you, you throw in a couple two count measures and it goes down to an F when you think it's going to go back up to a D at the too many things to say. But then, you know, when you get to the second verse, it's not the first verse again. It's like, it's just the B section. I
1: started realizing that I don't have to follow other people's idea of how song structure works. <laughs> and when I decide a song needs to change, I'm just doing it.
0: And you got the nice, the I might let go chorus, which is, you know, nice one, four, five. I almost felt like you were doing a little Elvis thing. The I might let go. <laughs> it's like the bottom of your range.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a little Elvis in there, a little swagger.
0: And then, yeah, where it gets actually this riffy, this is kind of unexpected at the time, where a minute in, you get this harmonizing bass and guitar, just riff. You know, you can say it's the A chord, but it's not necessarily. It's just a riff.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how I even came up with that. I just heard it in my head and started playing and singing at the same time. And I figured, well, why not put it in the song? It's all the same song. It's sort of three separate songs that become all the same song.
0: And then I take it the bass just started harmonizing with you? You didn't map that out?
1: No, Eric wrote his own part for that. Eric Bloomquist, mm-hmm. my bass player. I used to... Form most of the arrangements myself, and I play a lot of the music on other records, but on this one, everyone really contributed their own parts.
0: Well, I find that interesting. So you you enter this riffy, slightly prog part, but the drums just keep going, just play straight through it, that I kind of picture that you get to that, you know, that the drums shift to a weird tom-based off-time, you know, something that adds to the theatricality, but no, no, so it kind of makes it like a surf rock thing almost. You know, surf rock, they do riffs all the time, but it's still, the drums don't even really acknowledge it. they just just straight ahead.
1: We tried a bunch of different things in that part, and we decided that the best thing to do was to keep the drums going because otherwise it sucked the life out of the song. And we needed one of the musical elements to keep the energy going. Otherwise, it got drained.
0: And it was just you were trying to keep to this is what we sound like live. So you couldn't we're going to keep you going, but then we're going to Add the extra percussion to do the weird stuff or something, because guys, just because I I know you do that on other songs where you have these strange textures of other things that are coming in.
1: Yeah, just really wanted to keep it simple, keep it live sounding, and keep it minimalistic to maintain a rock energy without adding too much more. I didn't want to fuss, <laughs> so the new recordings have a lot to do with not wanting to spend a year on something (laughs) as much as wanting to serve the songs in the way I feel that they should be served. And the two kind of dovetail nicely, I think.
0: Was that also why you're doing an EP now instead of, okay, let's get another five, ten songs on here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It seems like a good way to do things now when people aren't really listening to whole records anyway and that way I could work faster, and these songs are very fresh instead of sitting on them for another year or two when I have five more songs, or padding it with five songs I'm not happy with or less happy with. So, yeah, speed is of the essence. It took me 10 years to record my second record, so I don't want to repeat that ever again, (laughs) where I'm sitting on a backlog that's making me miserable because I feel like I can't make a second record.
0: So the bridge of this song... The thing, the kind of big explosion for the bridge, it comes in, is now we're going to strum an acoustic. (laughs) That it's actually like a nice little. So you just ignore that live? We just changed the other chord?
1: Yeah. I don't have a second guitar <laughs> player, so it's just me. So we don't do that. But I think the feeling is still there. Actually, the last couple of shows I've played acoustic. Normally I play my 72 Mustang, but I've felt like playing these more rock songs acoustically. So maybe there's more of that and less of the distorted guitar. Uh-huh. I like to be contradictory sometimes.
0: Yeah. So you want to talk more about the lyrics? It all seems to be, you've commented before, like you don't like explaining lyrics. And this song almost seems to be about that. That If you want to know what I'm talking about, you have to pay attention to me. You have to work to get something out of me. I'm not just going to offer it up my soul to you in a transparent way.
1: Yeah. I want to be freed from the limitations of explanation and the idea of a mask being freeing has to do with fiction writing and getting freed up to write about other selves who might also be me, instead of being constrained by the boundaries of my own life and my own hangups. It's a pretty autobiographical song. A lot of my tunes are very personal, but I also write in a kind of coded way so as to not embarrass myself. (laughs) So, I mean, when I say A dream within a dream from when I wasn't feeling great. In fact, I felt like hell crawling out of the well, which I find hilarious because I'm thinking about the movie The Ring and the demon gal crawling out of the well because that's what it felt like to be ill last year and not able to do much except lie in bed and write. But if this is the result, maybe I don't care.
0: All right. you got a pretty long outro in here. We've established the chorus thing, and let's add in... Yet another guitar riff that's you know, slightly different, but still over the nice major chords. A few little chromatic notes in there, to and some triplets to kind of make it more articulated. So it's not a solo; it's riffs. Hmm you know, how do you determine I mean so there's over a minute of just vamping on this end part like I was just talking to Steve Wynn was my last interview and he was very inspired by these kind of drone like the live versions of 8 miles high or something that would go on for 20 minutes when you're live do you stretch this out longer or
1: yeah we do similarly long to the record we haven't done a 20 minute version of it yet <laughs> but eventually maybe we'll go into a cover or something after sufficient time has passed with the droning repetitive, chasing chords and noodling. We wanted to capture something that we never do. We almost never jam as a band. I usually bring in my songs completely written and we work out an arrangement and just play it. But this time we decided to stretch out a little bit. And even though it follows the chords and structure within the song, it's got parts within it that we don't play other places in the song.
0: Well, yeah, even for a jam, I know the Feely's also, which is how I discovered you because mm-hmm. a couple of them had played on your first record, but you know, they'll do these extended jams, but it's not a 1970s. Like the fact that you ha- you've got a keyboardist playing behind you, but there's not like a discernible keyboard solo even in that section. It's just a little more space taken out. Like it's a very restrained keyboard playing really throughout, or else you just buried it in the mix.
1: <laughs> I think it's more punk in a way to huh. not do a solo because we're not trying to be virtuosos. We're just chugging along with this groove. And it's part of that dare, come on and get me. So it's a little bit of a chase at the end that goes around in circles. It's not meant to end up someplace magnificent. That's a climax. It just circles around.
0: I mean, you've got a climax here, which is the bridge that I wasn't happy as a child when on Halloween a neighbor saw me smiling. And that's where the, the backing vocals come in for the first time. You have the bass soars up into the stratosphere. You got So that seems like that's the climax. Definitely. Maybe we should throw sort of by contrast our second song on the table. We can still bring this back up more by comparison. Silver from your previous album, Winged Victory 2013, Which really has the, I was going to say your classic sound, but, you know, is the one on this record that sounds most like stuff on the previous record, maybe. Right. There's a country rock basis here. Is there anybody in particular that you're drawing on, you know, vocally and melodically that was your primary inspiration here for this kind of country tune?
1: I don't know about Silver specifically, but I love the Handsome Family and Johnny Cash and Loretta Lynn and all kinds of weird old time music. So those influences come out almost no matter what I do, except for the very most recent songs, which are more garage rock. I've always been more attracted to this plaintive lap steel, pedal steel, banjo mishmash of things that I play. That old-timey cello. (laughs) (laughs) Old-timey cello, yeah. Just the way the cello echoes the human voice and is in that similar register, it's almost like... Doing a duet with the cello and having the other voice of the lap steel, of course, as well. Just different melancholy elements coming together. And these were things that I had demoed at home and then brought into the studio and had Jeff Chen play cello with me and I play the lap steel.
0: So you said this Um, record took you 10 years. Where was this song written in that process? Was it closer to 2013 or was this shortly after your first record or something?
1: It was probably somewhere in the middle. It just took me a long time to realize that I could make a record in any fashion that I saw fit. (laughs) My first record took at least five years to come out from when I recorded it. And I was so frustrated by that process that I wasn't sure how to make a record on my own and that I could call all of the shots and make all of the decisions. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. When I describe it to other people, they kind of look at me like I'm crazy. But I didn't realize that I could follow my own map and my own plans of what works best for me. I didn't have to demo things endlessly, which I actually did. I demoed over and over again when I should have just gone into the studio and done what was meant to be done.
0: Do you ever just demo it and then like, eh, that's fine. <laughs> and then that's the release version?
1: In a way. And when we talk about when I was a Tiger Lily, we'll go into that. So that's the contrast as huh. that was a finished product right away. Whereas Silver, I made a very sparse demo of me with guitar and then lap steel. I love the instant heartbreak of the songwriting demo, but then going into Dirt Floor Studio and having Jeff come in and having my drummer Peter Riccio with me, and then my brother Mike Galorn was playing bass, I just got over myself and over thinking that someone else needed to tell me how to make my record.
2: Dread
0: So, yeah, this really just kicks you right from that first in the first line when you you swoop up vocally. This is what I was trying to think in particular. I guess Loretta Lynn does sound about right, but I don't know her catalog well enough to know what song in particular. But you have a a number of tunes that just like set up immediately. Like on the previous record, Impossible was one that just by its very chord progression and melody just sets up this realm of weird country or something. (laughs) Like, can you do that in three notes or less?
1: I li- was listening to a lot of Patsy Cline, a lot of Astrid Gilberto, ah. Emmylou Harris, oh, yeah. uh, Kristen Hirsch. So people who have a little bit of twang in there and maybe aren't so super country, but also some country folks
0: well on emily harris she had played with graham parsons right
1: yeah i just love the flying burrito brothers and i love big star so big star and the flying burrito brothers that's where silver comes out
0: there you go yes and both those well in particular big star that's sort of always on the edge of tipping over a cliff or something that you can get extra vulnerable i know there are other country lights that do that as well
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think without Big Star and the Flying Burrito Brothers, you wouldn't have Wilco. So similarly, that's where my songs draw some of their mojo from.
0: So do you want to tell a little bit about what this is about? I pretend to fight with the silverware drawer. (laughs) Is this is this about you as a kid more or less or, or
1: No, not at all. This was about a time in my life probably around 2004 and ah oh, gosh, it's so hard to put these abstract lyrics into another form and say exactly what they're about, but the first verse is not from my perspective and the others maybe are a little bit more. I had this melody that I came up with on a beat up Kent guitar. It's like a $60 rummage sale guitar. And this chord progression came to me, and the words and melody just fell out. And I don't know that I could make more conscious sense for people, except this idea of having a doll that becomes a substitute for another person and being the doll or being the person who needs the substitute. So. At that point, I was the doll.
0: Okay, so the first verse is from the perspective of the doll.
1: Um, no, no, from the, the person who requires the doll substitute for a person.
0: We practice our manners so we can be good. We put away toys and we eat all our food. Like that sounds if it was in a slightly nastier voice, like one of those Elvis Costello. Uh, uh-huh. uh, if you're not actually talking about kids, you're saying something about how being degraded or degrading yourself or something like that.
1: Well, the idea that you're behaving, at least, and it wasn't meant to be mean, so, or snarling in any way, but maybe slight resentment (laughs) to be treated like a doll and not a human companion.
0: Gotcha. Pretend to fight with the silverware drawer, kiss it goodnight, something after dinner. The silver in particular, then, how does that connect to the doll part?
1: They're really three little vignettes and not necessarily meant to connect to the doll how could I describe this? <laughs> it's, again, a substitute for a human being. I pretend sure. to fight with the silverware drawer. I kiss it good night right after dinner. It's using objects as a substitute for human relations, collecting things instead of people.
0: Yeah. Again, you have at the end of the song, I hope I don't ever decide what it means. You know? <laughs> so in, in some ways, retroactively, I'm not going to explain this too thoroughly, but specifically you're talking about, I guess this is a third vignette. I dream I'm flying now and now and then I don't go too far. I just kind of hover up above the couch and behind the TV. When I touch the ceiling, I fly on my knees. So a nice combination of the, you know, normal flying imagery, but it's very mundane. I'm just, I'm in the house.
1: Yeah. I've had many dreams about flying inside and I just decided to work that in the idea of people have these ideas of flying dreams, you know, going up over towns and cities and stuff. Nah, I'm just flying in the house, chilling. The idea of imposed limitations, limitations put on myself or limitations put on me by other people manifesting even in my sleep.
0: So what do you think connects the three vignettes then? It's all just kind of domestic, but it's slightly weird, Uh, just kind of, you know, this is how I'm feeling. These are idiosyncrasies. Uh, Am I on the right track?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, your interpretation is as fair as anyone else's. And I think I'm probably the least qualified person to say what this song (laughs) means because I just know how it feels to sing it and what it felt like to write it. And what it felt like to write it was quite devastating because I felt like I received it in a way. And I don't know, usually when I'm playing at a loud and crowded bar, if people aren't listening, I'll whip silver out and try and make them quiet. And it's meant to evoke a feeling and not necessarily something that comes from rational thought or a narrative that is meant to be followed literally.
0: Sure. Well, and part of that big star tottering thing is this sense of nakedness, you know, back to Sid Barrett's solo stuff. I don't know if you know his, but I mean that. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: It was almost too much. It was too naked. It was, we, surely we need to, you know, drag a, a proper band in here and dress this up and make it psychedelic or something instead of just this brain seed from a side view or something <laughs> from it's some perspective that was not quite meant to be seen. It's like writing your dreams down as soon as you wake up or something like that.
1: Right. It's to capture the dream logic and the dream feelings, which don't necessarily make sense after the dream has evaporated. But you're left with something that's still interesting and heartbreaking. And you're often not sure why.
0: Sure. That you can have the melody, have the music sort of tell you how to feel about these things it's not necessarily that they would make sense if you're just looking at the scribbles of somebody as they woke and you saw these it's not a poem necessarily it's uh the words themselves underdetermine the mood it could be if you were sid barrett and you did this in a slightly different mood or a robin hitchcock and had these exact same lyrics about the silverware drawer and things like that and had it you know, put a little shuffle beat behind it or something. It'd be a completely different song.
1: Oh, I would love to hear um, Robin Hitchcock do this. (laughs) Absolutely. I could imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be a different song.
0: He might do it. He does almost anything. He has a very open mind. Send it his way. Yep. Well, let's move to song three. When I was a Tiger Lily. So sort of the same universe this is coming from. But I can see that you said this is something that was written straight to this recording that we're hearing now, so that you could then have this kind of standard strummy-strummy, but then you get to this break that becomes a little classical etude that you kind of throw in. It's different guitars come in, and the left and the right, they take over from the main thing, and and, then crazy stuff happens.
1: That all was written just from stuff I had in my head, and I didn't puzzle it out too much. And it's still just the acoustic guitar and a little bit of some Gretsch thrown in, and Rhodes.
0: So that's you doing the little tinkly electric piano as well? That's me
1: doing absolutely everything, yeah. So that was just recorded in my apartment with what I had available hanging around, and I wrote the song and went for it. (laughs) So really, that song only has two verses, so it doesn't have a chorus. (laughs) It's just verse- Interlude verse interlude.
0: Yes, the interlude is the chorus or something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> palate cleanser.
2: Telegraph to me a little story of yourself. I promise to hold it and keep it to myself. After dinner. For breakfast, the rosy finger don't come
0: So, we've got another tune that seems to be about communication again.
1: Yeah. Communicating with nature, written in nature, and the delicacy of human communication being compared to different natural phenomena.
0: Yeah. So, I hadn't really looked too closely. Telegraph to me the story of yourself, and, you know, and then I will cherish in some way. And then that's all there is about. communication directly because you then retreat to all this nature imagery after dinner i become swan i grew outside your window and then the releasing my my pollen turned you yellow beneath the garden pillow releasing my shadow and that's sort of the big sustained that the swoopy part comes right there yeah any comments sort of specifically about not decode tell what the literal meaning is that's not the appropriate response to hear but in terms of what the techniques that you're Drawing on here? You know, is it purely intuitive? Do you read a lot of nature poetry? What, where is this coming from? Well,
1: I was an English major and I read a lot of literature in high school and college and still read a lot of stuff. Now, I don't read a lot of nature poetry. It just came from the rhythm of walking. And I think that was one of the songs I wrote while walking. And the idea of personifying nature a little bit.
0: The Releasing My Shadow, which is at the end of both, the second one being Now I'm Your Tiger Lily When I Grow Through the Summer, Aurora Borealis, A Chimney on the Dark Road, Releasing My Shadow. So like the chimney on the dark road, I don't even know what that literally (laughs) means.
1: That refers specifically to a time when I was driving up to a gig up Route 7 in Connecticut and heading up to Great Barrington, and I saw the Aurora Borealis, and it was bright purple in the sky. And... Along the drive, there is a stone chimney off the side of the road that's not attached to a house. The historical house Ah. around it burned down. And it's just a recording of things I saw on that drive. So, again, I don't expect things to make narrative sense to other people. Part of it is giving me an excuse to sing something. And it's still evokes something beautiful without its actual meaning being that important for the listener to understand
0: sure but what is that phrase releasing my shadow I mean it sounds like there's a Peter Pan reference I don't know but it sounds just more like like the any talk of release of course has a very has a giant psychological connotation and shadow is obviously a very packed word in that way but is there anything you know more specific to that phrase for you
1: the idea of a bit of inner darkness coming out because of an old relationship turned sour, perhaps. My pollen turned you yellow. I grew outside your window. My pollen turned you yellow beneath a garden pillow releasing my shadow. I had a relationship that turned sour in the late 90s, I guess, and early 2000s. And I was sort of thinking of that, but only in the most distant way and used that a little bit as the inspiration for that thinking of that person and the years that had gone by since then having a feeling transformed and being freed from the boundaries of being with that person still
0: Mm -hmm. and then you've got the nice orchestration is very cinematic here even just in the regular section with your little high tinkly keys, and the Gretsch, which is very trebly, is strangely, maybe that's just the sound of the Gretsch that I'm not not as familiar with. You know, it's not that fat.
1: I was playing through a Gibson Minuteman amplifier, which has the worst bass response ever in an amp. (laughs) But I kind of like that trebly way the Gretsch cuts through in it.
0: And then you kept that going through the classical section, right? That same... The, yeah, the, the rhythm guitar switches up, but the lead instruments are just continue.
1: Right, and the only bass in the song is the Rhodes.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: that's really the only thing holding down
0: the low end. It's pretty prominent. Yeah. Let's listen uh, again, just to a little bit of the uh, the the etude section <laughs> I refer to. So anything about the composition of the those individual elements was it a matter of just working up this progression
1: i worked up the progression and found the accompaniment to it just by noodling so it wasn't really a conscious thing that i sat down to compose well i mean it, it was but it wasn't written out
0: or sure anything the main is it on a classical or this still steel string played with a pick
1: Steel string. I have a Larive parlor guitar, which I use in a way that I might use a little classical guitar. And it's wonderful for finger picking and doing all those little riffy finger picking things I do on there.
0: Did this section come before the rest of the song or this really rose out of...
1: I didn't write the song around this. No, no. I wrote the verse and then had the idea for the the chords that have that little melody running through them. Mm-hmm. And... The rest just fell into place around it.
0: I guess I'm, I'm surprised that I don't hear more of this <laughs> on your other work. It's displaying a skill in coming up with this instrumental passage that it was either a one-off, I'm messing around with my guitar kind of thing, or I would expect that you would go further on this road and we would get some straight- up instrumental pieces or you know what's your in terms of the amount of time of your musical life that you spend messing around with melodies on guitar as opposed to just writing a song?
1: This was a very unusual thing for me, but I do record some instrumental stuff. I've just never put it out. It's not totally unusual, but this was the first time I ever tried doing something like this, and I was happy that I did.
0: Yeah. Have you tried to add this to the live set ever?
1: Oh, yeah. Play it all the time.
0: Okay. So it's just a simplified version of this.
1: Oh, right, right. So I'm just playing the main chords on the guitar. And now that I have a keyboard player, we'll probably incorporate it into the band set as well.
0: And put giant throbbing drums over the whole thing.
1: Actually, I have played it with my drummer, Peter Riccio, but Julie Beeman, my keyboard player, hasn't been brought into the fold on this yet.
0: When you do this kind of thing with drums, is it use brushes or you just reinterpret it?
1: Tasteful brushes. Absolutely. Yeah. Very tasteful.
0: i do like the idea of trying on some of these things like let's just try silver with speed it up a little bit and just pound on it and see what that would sound like because it's Uh. if you've got a good melody it's going to carry it through but i understand with that song in particular much of the joy of it would probably be sapped out you'd have to be really bored to
1: yeah i'm not feeling that one but anyone else who hears that is free to cover it in that (laughs) fashion
0: Or what about this song, when you add drums when I was a Tiger Lily? what Does it become a different enough thing that you would want to do a live recording or something?
1: Maybe eventually. It is different, but it's not significantly different. For a while, we were playing it with a lap steel accompaniment live. It was very twangy. I think there's a video on YouTube of me doing it with myself on guitar and my old guitarist playing lap steel. It's not too different an animal. It's still the same song, but slightly
0: different. So have you had a lead guitarist in your live band at all? I mean, you had some great... I see you had Robert Quine play on something and Glenn Mercer and... Dean Wareham. Yeah, you've got these things on the recordings, but in terms of either duplicating those or doing something equally cool, is it hard to find like a lap steel player in Connecticut who would work for less than... Two hundred dollars a gig, kind of thing.
1: Part of it is if another person plays my guitar parts that I wrote, they get the credit for it. Ah. So I tend not to play with another guitarist. For a while, I did have a lead guitarist, and that was fun. I might do it again eventually, but the band I have now came out of a power trio format, which I really enjoyed because then I could rock out on the guitar, and no one would say, "Oh." Isn't that guitar player cool instead of realizing that I do write these things myself? So I have feminist reasons for not right, having sure, sure. another guitar player at the <laughs> moment. And it's a real issue. So maybe someday. Well, and
0: having well-placed keyboards works just as well to, to absolutely. the Absolutely.
1: And- right now, the live sound is very exciting to me because we haven't had a keyboard player before or in a very long time. When the first record came out, I did briefly have a keyboard and accordion player, but this feels different because she's really getting some of that Elvis Costello in the Attractions style organ sound, which fits with the more garage rock style material I'm doing.
0: Yeah, there seem to be, you know, some organ type players that, it'll just be very straight. Everything will sound like him and B3 and like, that's a nice sound. But it's not weird. <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of that big starry or kind of overtones. Whereas, you know, you playing yourself, you know, it's a fairly, on when I was a Tiger Lily, you said that it's a Rhodes. Yep. So it's just like one of the standard electric piano sounds, but just maybe the way that you're playing, because maybe because you're not a keyboardist primarily. Exactly. Makes it, you know, extra interesting. So, like, I always find all the guys, all the four or five keyboardists who played in Squeeze you know, another Elvis Costello-like band to be very interesting, and certainly Steve Neve from from Elvis Costello. Like, those are great keyboard parts. I often make the comparison, like, just because I've tried to play with a lot of keyboards over the years, and some of them, you know, it's like having Elton John on every song. Whether they're playing piano parts or they're playing an organ or something, it's going to be like, okay, that's that sound. The keyboard emitting its sound as opposed to playing parts. Right. (laughs) Not just chords on every song, but think of counter melodies. Do, you know, pretend you're a lead instrument and maybe use some weirder sounds. I don't know. (laughs) Certainly even within the organ, within the pipe organ, if they have the Mm -hmm. full organ, there's some uh, weird noises you can make. You can keep that creepy feeling. It doesn't just have to feel like a straight-up B3, which I also like. It doesn't have to sound straight traditional.
1: Yeah. What I'm doing is rudimentary compared to what Julie is doing on Mm. recent recordings. So I've never tried to play keyboards out of the house and sing with them because that's just so far out of my milieu. I feel much more at home with the guitar banjo and lap steel. So that's why I called in an expert.
0: <laughs> well, and then once you have another, uh, you know, even with uh, bass keys and drums, then you would have the option for a song of just putting down the guitar and doing some kind of excessive vocal. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is that an appealing, you know, doing just the front person thing? for a song? you know, Not really.
1: Because my vocals aren't like super fancy virtuoso vocals. I'm always trying to serve the song with both an instrument and my voice.
0: Sure. And you can feel more rooted, more shielded. I don't know. This is the way I feel.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I've played around with the idea of like being just the front person in a band. You know, it's always just logistically difficult if you want to play your own songs to get... To have nobody else who's playing an instrument be able to guide the song, so exactly apart. Yeah, you know, there's that obvious practical matter, but even beyond that, like I, you know, for a song or two, maybe I'll, you know, we're gonna do a cover song and I want to really cheese it up, so we'll, uh, I'll be able to put the guitar down. But it's a, it's so much more. You have to come up with a whole stage stick. <laughs> what do you do with your hands?
1: Yeah, there are those singers that have their little hand gestures mapped out to the whole song and stuff. I'm like, how would I even begin to do that? they must teach them that in special singer school.
0: Well, I'd heard on like early versions of the Cars, you know, which was like an acoustic duo at first. So Ben Orr, who like the only reason he eventually played bass is because he would like stand on stage with his hands in his pockets. Art Garfunkel style. Exactly. Exactly. That's not cool <laughs> enough. Have him play something. Okay.
1: When you see someone like Ronnie Spector sing, She does all of the hand gestures, and it's amazing. And I'm definitely taking lessons from her (laughs) as far as that goes, if I should ever venture out without the guitar.
0: Well, do you feel part of that was also, if you're behind a guitar, then that's kind of a, for me at least it keeps me from getting maybe a sense of vertigo or something as, as well as just having other people, having a rhythm section playing around you.
1: Yeah, I feel like, I mean, they depend on me to know what the hell's going on in the song in a lot of ways. So, And because I primarily play my own music, mm-hmm. it just makes more sense to be grounded there with the guitar.
0: So, but is there any connection? I guess what I'm, since you had is a, is a consistent theme lyrically, the sort of, just issues with communication and I don't know if I want to expose too much of myself or this is kind of weird, you're going to have to work it. That would seem to go with a, I'm going to stand here behind my guitar as opposed to I'm going to be out fully exposed. Is that, is that too much of a stretch?
1: My guitar is talking as much as I am. Sure, That's the way I feel, that the guitar is part of the communication and that is how I'm getting my meaning across with the words fused to the guitar. So it's not protection so much as a tool. It's the way I express myself in the world.
0: Sure. It would not be the same song if you replaced it with a piano for...
1: Yeah. And plus, I really love playing the guitar. (laughs) Playing rock guitar in front of people is a very powerful thing.
0: Well, that's a good transition to our final song. So we're back to the current EP, where you've, again, you've gone garage, you've rocked it up. Nothing to it, which starts off with this nice train rhythm. Say more about how this song in particular fits in the new vision, the vision for the new group here.
1: I think I wrote this before a gig. I played a Sunday afternoon gig last year or the year before. And I just had this rhythm in my head and out-barfed this song which has to do with my first year of college, basically. And I went to a Catholic university and was saved by philosophy classes at this Catholic school. And just another way to tell my story with guitars and organ and bass and drums. So it's my only sarcastic song.
0: On this record or period? Period. Ah, (laughs) Yes, there are different levels of, yes, all irony gets called sarcasm in some ways, by some people at least. But uh, you've got some quaint, you know, kind of off-kilter imagery, like in Silver in particular, but it's not sarcastic.
1: But declaring there's nothing to it in a song is a bit sarcastic because <laughs> there's nothing easy about about what I went through in school. So, <laughs> but it is funny to me. And I don't know if it's the only song that mentions Zeno's Paradox, but ah. I'd like to find another one.
0: Well, it's an interesting new direction. I've enjoyed the new EP. I certainly love the, you just got that poo song back in my head constantly. Cool. <laughs> because of that. Although it was not what I expected after spending quite a bit of time with your two full LPs. Uh, you know, I was, was picturing more of this Graham Parsons, Emmylou Harris kind of stuff coming out of you. So is it just that you wanted to feature the band more and just do it or or you're just honestly feeling compositionally in a different mode and kind of tired of what you'd been doing?
1: Not necessarily tired of what I've been doing, but the types of songs I'm writing right now Uh are garage rock tunes and I'm recording them according to the way they need to be recorded. I'm not abandoning an old way of working necessarily. I'll probably return to it, but. I need to rock out.
0: So say when you do Little Wren now, can you do that with the new band and rock and rock that out?
1: Actually, I hardly ever play it, but my drummer has a band called the Sawtells and they now cover it. So it's fun to ah. see the life of songs as played by other people and see how they interpret it. It's really fun.
0: Do they play it as a punk song? That's what's in my head here.
1: No, no. <laughs> okay. But that would be interesting.
0: Well, very cool. All right, so here's nothing to it. Well, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: I was tied to the rails by Calvary's cross, defeated and deranged and delivered. for I rose from the grave of the life that I'd left, defeated and deranged. There were people standing on every corner and town And those who were hidden in the bushes The fire never ceases, the clouds never part To reveal the sky at large I heard echoes in the hills of the ones who survived Who wrote what they knew and stuck together I hovered in a cave of philosophy the sport. That's how I do it There's nothing, there's nothing to it
0: Thanks again to Liss. I think she's got a really unique style. It's a very haunting stuff. Again, look her up at LissGalorn.com. L-Y-S-G-U-I-L-L-O-R-N. Pick up the new EP. Now, as you'll notice, I did pick up my release schedule. So the last few episodes have come out once a week. I think I'm going to do that one more time so I can get you quickly to my long-anticipated interview with Steve Hackett, the guitarist for Genesis in the 70s. with was a ridiculous number of very elaborate, very accomplished solo albums. I also then subsequently talked to another New England legend, Chandler Travis, an L.A. legend, Jason Faulkner, then back to New England slash New York with Talia Zedek, an amazing run of musicians. I'm so thrilled to be talking to these folks and helping you all hear the great stuff they've been up to. As always, if you have suggestions for a guest or you are a musician yourself who's put out several albums and want to talk to me about them, I don't even care how famous you are. Reach out to me, mark at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. If you like the kind of discussions I've been having here, please, for God's sake, help me spread the word about this thing. Go like and, better yet, share our Facebook page. Go subscribe to the podcast. Go on iTunes. Leave a nice review. This is still a fledgling project. It needs your support. And I encourage you also to reach out to these artists that I've already featured. Let them know you enjoyed the interview. Maybe let them know that you were turned on to their music by the interview. And, of course, we all know how difficult it is financially in this world to be a musician. So really, even if you have Spotify or Apple Music, why not buy a CD, gift it to a friend, or buy some of their tunes in electronic form on Amazon or iTunes? Think of it as just leaving them a tip, letting them know that you appreciate that they're out there working. All right, everybody. Keep on musicing. Until next time, this is Mark Linsenmeyer signing off.